It might seem impossible, but even now, you can get the pandemic updates you need, alongside uplifting moments that keep you going. Stay connected with stories for every side of you, from NPR and your listener-supported local NPR station. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card, you can earn 5% back at Walmart online, 2% at Walmart in-store, restaurants and travel, and 1% everywhere else. When you want all that, you need the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A. It's a clear winter day in December, and I'm on the south side of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Straight ahead, I see Mi Tierra, Spanish-American grocery store. I'm walking down 13th Street, which is also known as Crisol Corridor. Crisol means melting pot in Spanish. I'm with reporter Angelina Mosher Salazar, who's showing me around. But here, this is Rican Mix. Oh, Rican Mix, get out. It's the Mexicans and the Puerto Ricans. You may not think of Wisconsin as a very Latino state, But Wisconsin's Latino population nearly doubled in size from 2000 to 2015. And this neighborhood of Milwaukee is 66% Latina and Latino. And it's like wedged between, here we have Taqueria Arandas. We walk by an interesting-looking Latino art gallery. Then we pass by an old-school Western wear shop. And, of course, there are several Mexican supermarkets. But then... There is the party store. It is dulce mania here is what it is. And they've got piñatas. They've got like... Uh, Dulces. That's what a Spongebob the, hanging it's out. It's Spongebob. Piñata. piñata. And they've got a... What are those guys? The oh, the Ninja Turtles. Egg, the Ninja Turtle piñata. Then we get to the corner of 13th and Cleveland, which is just a 10-minute drive from downtown Milwaukee. And then we have La Taqueria La Sierrita right here. So this is a pretty nondescript corner, I have to say. There's not much happening. There's a big parking lot and an Aldi's food mart. But while this might be a pretty typical corner, it's right here in the heart of this Latino community that something terrible happened. And from the surveillance video from the restaurant, the attack took place right there on that corner. From NPR and Futuro Media, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Today, a hate crime in Milwaukee and what it tells us about hate crimes against Latinos in the United States. Over the last few years, as immigration has become a heated topic of discussion, we've heard more and more stories about racist comments and instances of violence against Latinos and Latinas. And that's reflected in FBI data on hate crimes. In 2018, the FBI reported that personal attacks motivated by bias or prejudice across the United States reached a 16-year high. And specifically, they reported that hate crimes against Latinos and Latinas went up 21%. But while some instances, like the mass shooting in El Paso, Texas, make headlines, many other incidents are never even reported. 
to better understand why that is and what these trends mean for Latinos and Latinas, I go along with local reporter Angelina Mosier Salazar to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We dive into one violent attack there and look at how this story did briefly make headlines. Is it A or B? I knocked and I rang the bell. Oh. Hola, Maud. Hola. Hola, ¿qué tal? Muy bien. We meet Maud Villalas at his home in the heart of the South Side. Mucho gusto. Hola, Maud. Angelina, mucho gusto. Hola, amiguita. Hola. ¿Cómo está? Maud is in his early 40s and he has a wide, inviting smile. And for a Peruvian who has Chinese heritage, he also has a little bit of an unusual name. Maud. Mi papá lo sacó un libro. He tells us that his dad got the name from a book. Your dad is not, he loved Arab. Reading. He's not Arab, he's not Muslim. No, he's not Muslim, nothing. He likes the name. What was he reading? Do you know what he was? That was about a prince, a warrior prince, un príncipe guerrero. In his house, Maud has a picture of his father looking regal and serious in a Peruvian military uniform. Y yo perdí a mi papá cuando tenía 12 años. O sea, lo extrañaba, lo extraño todavía. He says he was 12 when his father passed away, and he still misses him. When he was a teenager, his mother sent him to the United States. Mi mamá me miró, tú te vas para allá. ¿Cómo fue? Me quería que mi mamá me dijo que acá no vas a hacer nada porque no estaba mal, mal el Perú. Tú te vas para allá para que salgas adelante. How? Tenía 19 años, oh 18 God. años. He says his mother told him, you have to go because here you'll be nothing. She told him, Things are bad in Peru, and you should go to the U.S. so you can move forward. Maud was 18, didn't speak English, and had no idea where Wisconsin was. He had never heard of Milwaukee, but he did have a cousin who lived in the city. What was that like, like your mother saying, go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were like, freedom! Yay, freedom! the United States! What, what did the United States kind of symbolize or represent for you, like— um, it symbolizes American dream. Symbolizes if you work hard, you can get anything. That's what I love about this country. He started out working for General Electric. And in almost two decades that he's been in this country, Maud has done pretty much every single job possible. He's worked as a mechanic, a welder, and a construction worker, and he's done a lot of other things. Mood eventually became a citizen and married a woman from Peru, and now has two young sons, and he talks about them a lot. He says he wants to start his own company and teach his sons how to use a hammer and a machine welder. Teach them to fix every kind of thing, just like he can. On November 1st of 2019, Maud had just finished working a long day welding. It was a Friday evening around 6 p.m., and he drove to his favorite taco spot, which is La Taqueria La Sierrita, and he wanted to pick up some dinner. He pulls up in front of the restaurant, parks his car, and gets out. A man, a little bit older, standing by the bus stop, approaches him and tells Maud that he needs to move his car, saying that he's parked illegally. Maud says he's not, but he goes and moves his truck anyway. 
And when he comes back, the man is still there. But this time, the man's comments become racist. He told me, you're illegal, but you don't know my status. What are you talking about? You came illegally. The man keeps arguing with him. Maud says he told him to go back to his country and that he came here to invade. He continues to accuse Maud of being illegal. But Maud doesn't back down. I was arguing for some points, everybody can hear is immigrant. So it's no point you talking that way. Why are you talking that way, you know? And the very last thing he remembers saying to the man is that if Maud was illegal, then pretty much everyone in the United States is illegal. You get close to him. I think you have your finger up. Right. My phone and my mom have Indians that were here the longest. Nobody, he said, had more claim to the United States than Native Americans. And then, that's when it happened. The man took a small bottle out of his jacket pocket and threw it in Maud's face. His face immediately started to burn. Ten seconds after he did that, ya estaba en el baño tranchándome agua, porque fui corriendo en la mesera gritando, llorando. He rushed into the restaurant, running towards the waitresses, screaming and crying. He went straight for the bathroom and started pouring water on his face. Mood says he felt the most amount of pain in his eye. And then he looked down at his hands. And I see my hands red. Parecía sangre. And he thought he saw blood. In the bathroom, Maud's mind was racing. What is this? Y comencé, es acid. The red color on his hands, it was because the acid had burned through his purple jacket and the dye was running. How did you know that? Because I tasted it. I mean, I wouldn't know what acid tastes like. And the smell, too. Oh, it's because it's battery acid. Right. I'm a mechanic, too, and I know how the battery acid is. And the smell, like bleach. What he remembers next is the ambulance. Me daba un pánico de ataque, de, de temor, porque me amarraron y no quería estar amarrado. Maud says that it was there that he had a panic attack because they tied him down in the stretcher, but he said he didn't want to be tied down. That's the most scary of my life. I thought I'm going to never saw my boys anymore. No quiero dejarlos. Maud was rushed to the hospital. He had second-degree burns to his face, and his vision was cloudy in his left eye. But he could still see. When he was stable, he called his son. I'm okay. Did you want me to doctor? I'm at a hospital right now. So everything's fine, all right? I love you very much. Priscila Villalas, Maud's sister, took this video. And it would be the start of a very well-documented incident, which would make all the difference. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you uh, for coming out and joining us this afternoon. Just 24 hours after Maud was attacked and discharged from the hospital, he holds a news conference. He gets up in front of television cameras with his wounds still fresh, and he tells his story. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Juice was driving my truck to go to eat to the restaurant. Maud speaks in front of a podium, and he has a lawyer with him and local elected officials. 
My son calls me today. Daddy, what happened with you? What I can tell him, some crazy guy did this to me. His story got international attention. Al Jazeera covered it, The New York Times, NBC, the BBC, and so many others. Well, you can still see the discoloration in the sidewalk from where that acid was in this spot off 13th and Cleveland, where a man allegedly doused a complete stranger with acid. Now the community is left wondering why. There were a few factors that helped Maud's story really get out there in a way that the average hate crime doesn't. He immediately reported the attack to police, and there was clear security footage of the attack and the person who attacked him, and that was shared online. And his sister quickly reached out to a Latino advocacy group for help, which helped to connect him with local and state officials, organize a press conference, and get a pro bono lawyer to accompany him as he gave his statement to law enforcement. His family created a GoFundMe page to offset the medical expenses, and in a matter of days, Maud raised over $50,000. And that wasn't all. He received letters, calls, messages on Facebook, even one man offering to buy him medicine. This is guy is American, but he works in India. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Hey, good morning. I just went to my office now. How are you feeling? Recovering. Recovering. I can also send some face cream. Maybe it would help. Really nice guy. Within days of the attack, police arrested and jailed Clifton Blackwell, a white man in his early 60s for the crime. We should mention that he is a veteran whose mother later told the news that he was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And the district attorney is pursuing charges with a hate crime enhancer, which means there's an added five years to the sentence if he is convicted. Clifton Blackwell was released in February on bond with an ankle monitor pending a trial date. Coming up on Latino USA, we look at the bigger picture and talk to an expert about trends in hate crime data. Stay with us. No te vayas. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp, the online counseling service dedicated to connecting you with a licensed counselor to help you overcome whatever stands in the way of your happiness. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a professional tailored to your needs. And if you aren't satisfied with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time free of charge. Visit BetterHelp.com Latino to get 10% off your first month. Get the help you deserve with BetterHelp. This week on NPR's Invisibilia, we take you to a summer program for teenagers with sleepovers, marshmallows, and racial confrontation. I want you to all line up by skin tone, lightest to darkest. That's up next on NPR's Invisibilia.
We're back. When we left off, we had just heard the story of one man, Maud Villalas, an immigrant from Peru, an American citizen, who was attacked with acid in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But what happened to Maud is indicative of something grim that's happening across the country. The numbers are showing an increasing level of hate crimes overall. 2019 was not a good year in New York, L.A., and Chicago. Hate crimes hit their highest levels since 2001 or 2002, depending on the cities. This is Brian Levin. He's the director for the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California State University, San Bernardino. And he says there's been an upswing in violence, specifically against Latinos. In the five years going from 2013 to 2018, almost a 50 percent increase in anti-Latino hate crime. I sat down with him to have a more in-depth talk about trends in hate crimes and why the numbers actually don't reflect the whole picture. Because you've been studying this for years, what do you point to in terms of why this kind of a spike with anti-Latino-Latina hate crimes? Around 2010, we saw the last big cluster of anti-Latino hate crimes, and it came at a time when we had an increase in undocumented border crossings, as well as political rhetoric and actual bills that were anti-immigrant. Election time 2016, when candidate Trump was an established leader, that was the worst month for hate crime going back to the first anniversary of 9-11, and the day after Election Day, and this is FBI disaggregated data, was the worst day for hate crime going back to 2003. And unfortunately, at least in the last year, it looks like Latinos were bearing that brunt. But if you remember the attack against Tree of Life Synagogue, the motivation was Latino immigration and the fact that Jews were perceived to be supportive of it. I just want to be clear. Are you saying that the political rhetoric coming out of the president's mouth has a direct correlation to the increasing numbers of hate crimes against Latinos and Latinas? Well, certainly there's a direct correlation relating, for instance, to election month and the day after election. It's clear and unmistakable. Correlation isn't necessarily causation, but we do know that stereotypes are the lifeblood of prejudice, and we have different types of manifestations of this. Some of it involves statements on the internet, as well as an increase in hate crimes. And we're starting to see some patterns, too. For instance, an African-American will be nominated or elected. We see a spike in anti-black crimes during that time, but it comes before the election, for instance. So in, in 2008, we saw that. How do you break down what's happening with Latinos and Latinas who are U.S.-born versus people who are being targeted specifically because of their immigration status? When we have people who are being attacked because of their actual or perceived immigration status, it's a different type of victimization, and it involves certain kinds of barriers, such as linguistic barriers, which can still exist with citizens, certainly, but also the immigration status itself might make them an easier mark and also less likely to report. Unfortunately, 
I don't think that we are getting all the numbers in. I think we have cultural issues, we have linguistic issues, and we have fear of dealing with authorities, not for the least of which, that some of these people might be legally vulnerable. So bottom line, states like Wisconsin look like they're undercounting hate crimes. Wisconsin has a good law. It could broaden it a bit. We have to look at model policies and outreach to immigrant communities in their own language and including liaisons because some people from these affected communities may not feel comfortable dealing directly with law enforcement unless there's an intermediary and unless it's in their language. In the case that we're looking at, the district attorney is actually prosecuting this particular incident as a hate crime and is using a hate crime enhancer. That would add an extra penalty if there's a conviction. Does this usually happen? Hate crimes are exceedingly difficult to prosecute for several reasons. Number one, victims are often traumatized and sometimes unavailable or scared. People might be outed or might fear deportation or some kind of further victimization. They might fear shame from their community. Additionally, police oftentimes do not effectively preserve this evidence or even label cases as hate crimes. Here in California, where we have almost 1,100 hate crimes a year, when it comes to prosecutions, you're talking 200 or less in any given year with regard to the hate crime statutes. Wisconsin's requires a showing that the victim was intentionally selected because of their group status, such as ethnicity. And that particular element has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's oftentimes very difficult to establish. Voice of America found that over the last three years or so, there's been a decline in federal hate crime prosecutions of about 38%. So I'm wondering, why is it that if there is a general increase in the numbers of hate crimes, and certainly against Latinos, why do you think that we hear about some of these moments and not others? What differentiates this? I think when captured on video, these types of incidents have a particular viral shock value that perhaps the spoken word does not have. But the bottom line is, I think one of the things you're going to see more of are not only increased efficiencies with regard to the recordation of crimes, but also of incidents which may not rise to the level of crimes, but still might affect communities, and it would be good to record this data. I would guess that perhaps, had this not been such a horrific attack, but maybe something more minor, that we would never have heard of it at all. It's hard to know exactly how many hate crimes go unreported, but a National Crime Victimization Survey estimates that there are almost 250,000 hate crimes a year, but that more than half of those crimes go unreported to police. For Maud, coming forward wasn't the hard part. What did it feel like to be called illegal, straight up to your face? He has no right to call me that. 
It feels discriminativo, feels ofensivo, offensive. It feels rechazado, rejection. That's how it feels. And after this incident, what he most wants his kids to take away from this is how to learn to not engage with people like the man who harassed him. La lección para mis hijos y no para personas que no vale la pena escuchar. ¿Por qué quieres escuchar algo que te hace enojar? He says, why listen to them? Why listen to something that angers you? Es muy difícil quedarse callada y no defenderte. But at the same time, it's very difficult, he says, to just stay quiet and not speak up and defend yourself. And then Maud tells me that he has plans to add some flags to his welding hat. I'm a welder. I want to get my hat, American flag and Peruvian flag. I want to make it out. Oh, on your welder, your welder hat. Right. Yeah. I'm proud to be Peruvian, I'm proud to be American. This episode was produced by Angelina Mosier Salazar with help from Joanda Luna and edited by Sofia Palizaca. The Latino USA team includes Miguel Macias, Luis Treyes, Antonia Cerejido, Janice Yamoka, Alisa Escarce, and Alejandra Salazar. Our engineers are Stephanie Lebeau and Julia Caruso. Additional engineering this week by Leah Shaw. Our production manager is Natalia Fidelholz. Our digital editor is Amanda Alcantara. Our interns are Julia Inés Esparza and Julia Rocha. Our theme music was composed by Zenia Rubinos. If you like the music you heard on this episode, stop by latinousa.org and check out our weekly Spotify playlist. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again on our next episode. And in the meantime, look for us on all of your social media. Hasta la próxima. Ciao. Latino USA is made possible in part by the Annie E. Casey Foundation creates a brighter future for the nation's children by strengthening families, building greater economic opportunity and transforming communities. California Endowment building a strong state by improving the health of all Californians. And funding for Latino USA's coverage of a culture of health is made possible in part by a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. I'm Maria Hinojosa, and next time on Latino USA, a group of young reporters talk about gentrification in their Los Angeles neighborhood and what happens when a new Netflix show is set in their backyard. That's next time on Latino USA.